2: Welcome into Outkick Podcast. Appreciate all of you. Go give us five stars. Danny G's gonna read some reviews tomorrow. Could be you. You get a five-star t-shirt. What is better in the world? Nothing than that. Also, right off the top here, go sign up right now for fanduel.com/slash clay. Twenty-five to one offer on the Colts or the Titans. Pick a winner. Bet $5, you get back $125 for Thursday's NFL game. That's FanDuel.com slash Clay. Loaded show for you. Shannon Spake joins us in the second hour. Then the head coach of Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell. Really good conversation with him. He's got the number 15 team in the country. They're 7-0 in the Sun Belt. He will join us, talk about the college football universe. We're talking about new NFL rules. We're talking about SEC postponements, potentially cancellations in college football, and it's Veterans Day. Thank you to all of you out there who are listening for your service. This is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio, and the podcast begins now. OutKick the coverage with Clay Travis live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for OutKick the coverage at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR.
3: Now, let's get this
4: party started.
2: You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Some interesting news that's out there in the world of football. Let's dive into it a little bit. Um, I thought this was intriguing. They had an owner's meeting yesterday in the NFL and voted on a couple of different rules that uh, could be significant down the line the first one and I think by far the most significant for this season is the NFL has now voted if they have to cancel any games any games at all we're halfway through so far no games have been canceled they are going to do away with the buy Uh, for the number one overall seed in the NFC and the AFC, and they are instead going to expand the playoffs to eight teams in the AFC, eight teams in the NFC, and everyone would have to play in the opening weekend. So instead of only having one bye this year, which is what they have uh, agreed on because they've expanded the playoffs to seven teams in the AFC and seven teams in the NFC, they would have no buys at all. So this is kind of an intriguing move to me because it could be significant down the stretch. Yes, you would still get to play at home if you are the Pittsburgh Steelers or if you are the New Orleans Saints, the two teams that if the season ended today would be the number one seeds in the AFC and the NFC. But how much of a home field advantage do you actually have when either there are no fans present or there are a relatively small number of fans present? But I think it's an interesting question uh, to, uh, to contemplate. The other uh, rule that they have uh, voted on, and I don't think this is a, uh, I don't think this is a very uh, well thought out or intelligent policy, is if you have a minority coach, that is hired away by someone else then the team with the minority coach that is hired away gets a compensatory draft pick. The idea behind it is to encourage teams to develop minority coaching candidates but couldn't this work against the idea of hiring away a coach? Because if you're trying to catch a team why would you hire away their coach when you are then rewarding them with a third-round pick, which is fairly valuable. I'll give you an example. Right now, you have a situation where Eric Bieniemy may well become a head coach in the NFL, right? He is uh, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a very good chance that somebody is going to hire him away from the Chiefs this offseason to take over their job. Probably the favorite, I would say to do so may well be the Houston Texans. But the Houston Texans are trying to catch the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. They want to be able to become better than the Chiefs, given the fact the Chiefs are the best team, arguably, in the NFL right now. Certainly, they're the favorite to repeat as Super Bowl champs. Well, if the Houston Texans hire away Eric Bieniemy, they actually give the Chiefs an advantage even more against them because the Chiefs then get one year a third-round pick and potentially a third-round pick the next year. That seems like a disincentive to me to the team like the Houston Texans to hire away a coach from the Kansas City Chiefs. Also, it creates opposite incentives in my mind. You should, I believe incentivize people to hire the best possible coaches and players for the reason that the NFL meritocracy works because if you have the best players and coaches, you win more football games. And frankly, if there are some teams that are racist and they're not hiring the best players or coaches because race is influencing their decision-making in a negative way, then the market should reward the less racist teams because they would get better value on players, right? Or coaches. Let me give you an example. If you've watched the Patriots over the years, they have had. It's become kind of a, a funny joke. They've had a lot of white wide receivers, right? I mean, that has become a meme on the uh, on the internet you see Bill Belichick holding those uh, those uh, binoculars, and every time like a white guy runs a fast 40, somebody will put up that picture of Bill Belichick holding the binoculars and watching from the NFL combine, right? Why did Bill Belichick do that? Because I believe Bill Belichick noted a market inefficiency. He recognized that guys like Julian Edelman, were undervalued relative to their ability to perform at the NFL level. So he could invest less money in a white wide receiver than he might have to in a wide receiver who was black. In other words, there was a disbelief that white wide receivers could get the job done that allowed Belichick to exploit a market inefficiency, whether it was Wes Welker, whether it was Julian Edelman, Whatever that decision was, I think if we had Bill Belichick on, he would say, yeah, we found that we had a competitive, a competitive advantage because white-wide receivers were comparatively undervalued, so we could pay less money to them. They could do the job at a lower cost, and that allowed us to get a competitive advantage. Well, if it's true that minority head coaches and assistant coaches are being undervalued, then you should be able to exploit the market racism of that position. And so your own lack of racism would lead to more victories. In other words, I believe markets ultimately get things right when there are highly competitive industries involved. Does that make sense to people out there? Rather than try to give perverse incentives, which may blow up against you, again, Think about my example of the Houston Texans maybe being interested in Eric Bieniemy. but if I'm sitting there and I'm the owner of the Texans, I'm like, man, I don't want to give away uh, extra draft picks to the team that we're trying to catch. Maybe we should go hire somebody else who we think could help us and not give an advantage to the Kansas City Chiefs in the process. So market-based solutions to me in highly competitive fields work better undervalued assets that then perform at a higher rate allow there to be opportunities to unlock value better than trying to put in ham-handed incentives. So anyway, those are two big moves that the NFL has made. I think the one about... I'm going to bring in the crew, see what they think about these. But to me, the eight teams in uh, in the playoffs business is really kind of fascinating because it could lead to teams saying, well, we don't really care about home field advantage this year. Let's rest our best players and know that we're going to have to win three playoff games no matter what. That's a big difference in terms of the way that the playoffs could look in the NFL this year compared to in past seasons. And what do you think about my argument? I understand the NFL's goal here but I also think it's a uh, well-intentioned plan that is likely to blow up given the circumstances that I just laid out. Danny G, what do you think about both of these potential changes in the NFL?
0: Yeah, the 8-8 and makes a lot of sense to me, so there's no issue with that. As far as being a minority head coach, I don't think that I would want to feel like draft picks were involved, and that's why my name was in yeah. the mix. It would
2: Arguably, ma- it's insulting because it makes yes. it look like you're not good enough to get the job without somebody having to be given something else to take
0: you. Exactly right. And I don't know if you remember this, but a few months ago when this topic was on our show – we had a coach call up, uh, I forget what from what state, but he was a minority head coach in uh, high school. Yeah. And he was telling you that he felt like where we really needed to focus in on this issue was at the high school and college level. Yeah.
2: And I think, honestly, that's a good point. The, the focus should be on the introduction at the level of beginning to become a head coach. Right. And, and that was uh, maybe not stated as uh, succinctly or eloquently as it could have been where people enter into the idea to become a coach. Because how do you become a head coach in the NFL? Mostly by being an offensive or defensive coordinator. If you are not an offensive or defensive coordinator, it's hard to become a head coach. Well, how do you become an offensive or defensive coordinator? At the age of about 22 years old, you take a job at the lowest rung of coaching in the NFL, and then, or college, And then you have to slowly work your way up. In other words, the NFL promotes from within, like many jobs, and you have to put in probably, what, 15 years at least? It's relatively rare that somebody becomes a head coach in the NFL before 36 or 37 years old, right? So most of the guys who are getting head coaching jobs in the NFL are working in the NFL for 12, 13, 14, 15 years, before they become head coaches at the absolute earliest. And a lot of times guys have to work into their 40s or even into their uh, almost 50 years old to get a head coaching job. You have to work your way up over time. Who are the people that are entering the profession to become coaches? That, to me, is where you need to look to determine what the end result is. In other words, what are the percentages of people at the age of 22 who want to be coaches look like? Uh, there are a lot, it seems to me, of Sean McVeigh's of the world, people who are not particularly talented as athletes and recognize that they have no NFL future. So at some point, they pivot their football dreams from, I want to be a player to, I want to be a coach. And if you start at 22 years old or even 21 or 20 years old on internships, like a lot of these guys do, then you're advantaged in terms of one day being able to become a head coach. What do you think about both of these uh, ideas that the NFL voted on, Dub?
4: Yeah, I agree with Danny G um, on the coaching thing because, I mean, I think if that was me, it would seem almost like an insult. I, I agree with that. It's like, did you hire me because of you want me as your coach or did you hire me because of all these incentives that are involved? Uh, the eighth-game playoff, I think it's a pretty much a no-brainer, especially if games get canceled. It, to me, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of the home field advantage – I guess it is a slight disadvantage for teams that are, you know, eyeing that playoff by because obviously that would not be uh, given if this were to come true.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, I think the uh, home field advantage would now shift from fans. And by the way, a big part of the home field advantage is your influence of officials. So people like to claim that officiating is completely 100 percent unbiased, at least if they're in the officiating ranks. But the number of screaming fans seems to influence things in a positive direction for the home team. And the same thing happened uh, with the NBA, where the home field advantage, home court advantage kind of disappeared without fans present. And in the NFL, that's one of the major changes that has occurred, is there's almost no difference in who's winning a game in the NFL now based on who's playing at home or away. And I think a big part of that is, as somebody who has been to three NFL games so far this year, when there's ten or 11,000 people in the stands, there's no real influence from the crowd at all because there just aren't enough people there. And so the, uh, the subconscious influence upon officials who would overwhelmingly typically favor the home team doesn't exist on the same level, such that I think home field advantage in the NFL playoffs this year is much more likely to be of the nature of, hey, Green Bay, it's freaking cold. It's going to be really difficult for some teams to make that travel trip to Green Bay and be able to play at a high level because of the uh, environment there. Or, let's say, if you are the New Orleans Saints, getting to play in the Dome, not necessarily because of the crowd that will be normally be loud in New Orleans in the Superdome, but just being able to play indoors on turf when you're a team that has been built in that way, those would be, to me, the big home field advantages, the the, the outdoor environment or the indoor env- environment that your team has been crafted to be able to uh, to take part in. What about you, uh, Eddie? What do you think about this uh, expanded playoff field? You're a Steelers fan. Does it seem fair to you that the Steelers, who were 8-0 for the first time, I believe, in their history, might actually not end up with any advantage, really, in terms of less games based on the number one seed, and that they don't even know what that situation is going to be, even halfway through the season? And what do you think about this change to encourage the minority coaching hires?
5: Well, I'll start with the the last one first. I'm just fundamentally against any kind of incentives to hire coaches or anyone else based on anything other than – the qualities that they have to be yeah. a good head coach. It's funny, I was just reading an article just a second ago about Raheem Morris, who's now the interim head coach in Atlanta and how he should get a second chance because it didn't work out in Tampa, but he's doing a good job in Atlanta now. And look, if they want to hire him, I don't have a problem with it, but it's funny, if that were an article about Dan Quinn being talked about for another job, then there would be you know an outcry of how you know this guy's getting a second chance, and he had his opportunity and he blew it, yeah. and yet Raheem Morris is deserving of a second chance because By the way, Dan
2: Quinn, way more successful than Raheem Morris correct right i I mean dan quinn 28-3 i hate to bring it up atlanta falcon fans but he was good enough to get his team to the super bowl
5: absolutely so as far as the Steelers, look it's hard for me to take the personal feelings out of the situation but i will say this and what you brought up earlier if the steelers happen to be undefeated which i don't think they will be late in the year and they're going to have to play a first round game i'm 100 percent in favor of them resting players and saying who cares about this undefeated record it's about the playoffs it's about trying
2: to win a super Bowl." i think it even is possible that teams could be resting Players without even worrying about the idea, if, if eight teams are going to make the playoffs, and if you know that you have to win three playoff games to make the Super Bowl, no matter what, I think there are a lot of teams out there that may say, Hey, especially given that this is a strange year with COVID and everything else, they may say, We just really don't care about whether we're going to have home field, you know, especially if you're thinking about home field in the AFC championship game, right? Maybe it matters to the Steelers in a big way, whether they got to play in Pittsburgh or they got to play in Kansas City. I can see how that could matter because right now the number one seed would be the Steelers and the two seed would be the Chiefs. But I don't know that odds makers would even really adjust at this point the overall uh, line in this game to, because having 10 or 11,000 fans present doesn't really impact things one way or the other. So I could see a lot of teams making the decision to sit out their their players in a way that usually never happens because you know, without a bye week and uh, and without any real incentive in the grand scheme of things to play less games, I don't know why you wouldn't rest some of your players in the final couple of weeks of the season if you knew you had to play three straight weeks. Regardless, I, I think that's worth paying attention to. I think that's a big change. What about you, uh, Roberto? How would you assess these two NFL uh, pr- uh, proposed rule changes they just voted on?
0: Yeah, I agree with you that uh, the f- home field advantage in the playoffs is going to be, you know, because because of the weather or you know the, the dome environment. And as a minority on this show, Clay, I wasn't hired because you or Ben Maler got a bonus check for hiring me. I was I was hired for yeah. my expertise and because I was the best candidate for this job. So yeah, I don't I don't agree with that. With yeah, that and it's rule. interesting.
2: You guys who were out in California, this was just a ballot measure, right? And you know, people talk about how wildly left-wing the state of California is. Didn't you guys just have a ballot measure to vote on whether affirmative action should uh, should exist for? I think it was college admissions or whatever else yeah, was I it. I thought,
4: yeah, I voted no on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, but it it didn't pass, right? Like, and it got beaten pretty soundly in the state of California. I think it was, it, right? I mean, I, I obviously don't vote on uh, in the California, but you guys would know better than me. Didn't it lose like 56 to 44, even in the state of California, the idea of my, you know, minority benefit based on your race as to whether you get admitted into colleges at a different rate? Yeah, you're right. And so, even in California, which has a reputation certainly well deserved in many ways of being a very left wing state, an NFL like policy that was voted on was crushed in the state of California as to whether or not affirmative action should exist in college admissions. And if the state of California is rejecting that, and uh, then I think there's probably a huge percentage of people who are sports fans across the nation who feel like the NFL, and by the way, of all different races, who feel like the NFL idea of we're going to give draft pick benefits. Yeah, that's dumb. Is is just a broken po- And what do you guys think about my idea here? Like, if you're the Texans and you want to hire Eric Bieniemy, do you want to give an advantage to the team that you're trying to catch in the Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, a third round pick is a pretty high-level pick. You could get a difference maker in the third round that makes it more difficult for the Houston Texans to catch the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, this could be a perverse disincentive if you're trying to catch the team. The Chiefs and the Texans are a perfect example right now. The Chiefs are a lot better than the Texans. If the Texans hire Eric Bieniemy, they're hoping to catch the Chiefs. Well, perversely, you're giving the Chiefs another leg up if the Texans decide to hire Eric Bieniemy and the Chiefs get a couple of extra third-round picks and one of those guys ends up being a huge stud, why wouldn't you be the team that was not racist and took advantage of the other racism in the NFL and that led to your team having more success than they otherwise would? That, to me, seems like the incentive that should exist. The NFL, whether you uh, are a huge fan or not, is about winning games and teams will do whatever it takes to win games to find the best players to find the best coaches if you can find an inefficiency in the market and that's why i was using an example i think there was an inefficiency in the market at wide 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 receivers that bill belichick exploited he was able to get wide receivers that were otherwise going to be overlooked and didn't cost very much money like wes welker and julian edelman and turn them into, in the case of Edelman, maybe a Hall of Famer when nobody else would see that opportunity or that advantage. I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty intriguing to think about. And Dub, you were just running through some third round picks. I mean, this is could this could be a difference maker for a franchise for a long time. Who you got uh, th- that you've looked up that are third round picks? If I'm the Texans and suddenly the Chiefs go draft a guy of this caliber, that's pretty tough.
4: Yeah, Russell Wilson, third-round pick, Steve Smith, Jason Witten, Marshall Yanda, Jamal Charles, Frank Gore, Alvin Kamara, Justin Houston. I mean, the list really just goes on and on and on. So there's there's third-round picks that make a real difference every single year. So if one of them happens to go to the Chiefs in your scenario, then why would the Texans want that?
2: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. They're trying to catch the Chiefs. Uh, All right, when we come back, we will dive into more of these issues, continue to unpack. We got some college football decisions to be made about which games can be played. Several of them were canceled. Uh, By the way, we're scheduled, I think, later this week to have the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, on with us uh, to talk about this as he tries to make decisions, uh, given that the SEC has now postponed three different games this week. I'll talk about it with you and some of the challenges that that conference is having, as well as the continued fallout of absurdity surrounding Cal in Berkeley whether Cal is going to be able to play this week or not based on a pinprick of positive tests it's absolute insanity this is Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis
1: People at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit them at o'reillyauto.com/two-pros. That's o'reillyauto.com/two-pros. Hey guys, it's
3: Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters?
2: Going to dive into some of these postponements and or cancellations in the world of college football here in a moment. But first, Eddie Garcia, what you got for me?
5: We start with news from the NFL where the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers place quarterback Ben Roethlisberger and three others on the reserve COVID-19 list. The players are considered high-risk, close contacts of tight end Vance McDonald who tested positive on Monday. The Steelers say they are optimistic. Roethlisberger and the others will play Sunday against the Bengals. College football news. The SEC announcing the postponement of Saturday's game between top-ranked Alabama at LSU due to positive COVID-19 tests in the Tigers program. No word on when that game might be rescheduled. SEC also postponing the game between Number 5 Texas A&M at Tennessee because of COVID issues with the Aggies program. That game has been rescheduled for December the 12th. NBA news, the Suns and Thunder are reportedly having discussions about a trade that would see all-star guard Chris Paul going from Oklahoma City to Phoenix. There's currently a moratorium on trades ahead of the league's NBA draft, which is next weekend. In baseball, the NL Manager of the Year award was given to Marlins skipper Don Mattingly, while Kevin Cash of the Rays won the honor in the American League. Now back to Clay Travis and the Geico, Outkick the Coverage Studios.
2: Yeah, okay, so Uh, Thanks for that, Eddie. Breaking down some of that news from the SEC. First of all, let's let's talk about the Pac-12 for a moment. First, the Berkeley health ordinances are so absurdly ridiculous that Cal is talking about having to relocate its football team in order to be able to play this season. So the Cal game, I believe one of you guys can look this up, they're scheduled to play Arizona State this weekend. Due to contact tracing rules, it seems unlikely that Cal is going to be able to play for a second straight week, which would mean that now they're down to whatever it is, five games, even if everything went flawlessly. Uh, so, this is a major issue for the Pac 12 in general, how ridiculous these rules are. And the contact tracing rules in the SEC are what has required the postponement of LSU at Alabama, Texas A&M at Tennessee, and Auburn Mississippi State. So all three of those games have now been postponed in the SEC. Now, Texas A&M Tennessee and Auburn Mississippi State are relatively easy to make up because the SEC built in an extra week on December 12th. The challenge with LSU is they have already got a game right now scheduled on December 12th against Florida. And so the likelihood here is that the SEC is going to have to cancel its first game of the season so far. So far the SEC had been able to get in every college football game and it might well have to cancel LSU-Alabama. Now, the challenge here. And this is a much bigger issue for the Pac-12 and for the Big Ten because they don't have this extra week in order to play games. The challenge here that these schools are running into is Halloween. You might be saying, like, okay, why are there suddenly starting to be a few of these positive cases popping up? And it's not in any way dangerous. It's asymptomatic cases. This is the flaw with treating positive cases as a big deal. And then having to contact trace people who have come into contact with people with these positive cases the flaw here is college kids the best weekend of the year in college is halloween a lot of these football players especially on teams that aren't that good decided to go to halloween parties and they're now testing positive because they were out socializing on campus. And so the big challenge here is I think the SEC is going to have to acknowledge that they're not going to be able to play 10 games necessarily for every team. And so this could be an issue, let's say, for Alabama. If Alabama isn't able to play LSU, they need to win out their remaining three games to ensure that they're still the SEC West representative because fortunately for the SEC, Alabama's already beaten Texas A&M and there's no real challenge there. Fortunately for the SEC, Florida beat, beat Georgia. And so if Florida has to miss a game, they've got the tie break in those scenarios. But this whole contact tracing business, as if positive cases are in some way a danger for college football programs, Knock on wood, always crazy things can happen. But to me, one of the biggest stories of the college football season, which by and large has gone pretty well, is no players have contracted the virus at all from games. And in fact, the NFL put out a statement, their lead medical examiner, saying that there isn't a single record of any player having become infected with COVID from any sport Anywhere in the world, soccer, basketball, baseball, football, doesn't matter what sport you play, every different level, high school, college, pro, all around the world, there isn't one case of someone catching COVID from playing sports. Now, they can get it from being in a locker room. They can get it certainly from their teammates who they're in close contact with, but the actual competitions themselves, the games, Nobody is getting this virus. So the original flaw here, the original sin, as it were, is in treating COVID-positive cases in college kids as if it's actually dangerous. So far, again, knock on wood, not one player in the entire country has had a severe health relationship with COVID. The vast majority of these players are having Uh, No issues at all. And by the way, that's for college kids in general. There are hundreds of thousands of college kids in general who have tested positive for COVID, almost zero hospitalizations across the entire country. Now, some people have underlying health concerns, a tiny, tiny percentage, but the average college kid, and I've been beating this drum for months, the average college kid is under more danger from the seasonal flu than they are from COVID. And so this is going to be intriguing to figure out exactly how this scenario plays out because some people are like, well, they should just go ahead and move the schedule, move the college football playoff back, but that doesn't seem like a very viable option by and large. And so I think what we're going to end up with eventually in the SEC, although we have not seen it so far, is a few games are going to get canceled. Now, given the fact that the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 – are trying to play 10 conference games each and the fact that the Big Ten is playing eight and many different Big Ten teams will end up playing fewer than eight and that the Pac-12 is only playing seven and many different Pac-12 teams will end up playing fewer than seven if an Alabama or a Texas A&M or a Florida, who are the three teams that are contending for the college football playoffs still in the SEC, end up playing nine games, they're still playing more than the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and I don't think that's going to overall impact things very significantly. The other thing they could do is for the teams that are not playing in the uh, SEC title game or a title game in general on December 19th, they could also play some of those other games on December 19th. In other words, right now it looks like Alabama and Florida are going to play on December 19th. It's possible that you could set up games to be played uh, for the other teams on that weekend as well to allow games to, uh, to, to to be finished out. The other thing is, in talking to people, if they bump back when the conference title games are, then they're playing the conference title games on the week of Christmas. In fact, the day after Christmas, which a lot of uh, schools just don't want to do. They don't want the kids to have to be uh, in, in practice having their week of practice during Christmas it's something that has traditionally not been done which is why the college football playoff is being selected on December 20th I'll open up the phone lines and let anybody ask questions they may have about these scenarios in college football Uh, I'll also bring in the crew and we will continue to discuss that as well this is Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis talking about some of the challenges that are out there for the college football teams and by the way letting you know we'll be talking with uh, Jamie Chadwell he's the coach of Coastal Carolina his team is undefeated on the year highly ranked I'm sure that he can give us a little bit of an indication about how challenging it is to try to keep uh, everybody able to play and uh, what this experience has been like so far as a uh, as a coach this season he'll join us in the uh, third hour of the program we're also going to be joined by shannon spake next hour as nascar is now finished off their season and she is obviously on the sideline for nfl games as well Uh, we will talk with her that is where we are headed what do you guys think the solution here should be for college football particularly the sec the pac-12 the big 10 Uh, some of these conferences as they have to make decisions about whether or not to play games predicated on contact tracing. I think the easy solution is they got it wrong, you know, in terms of this contact tracing business because there isn't really any substantial danger. And we talked about how absurd some of the rules are and illogical. You can use as an example, Trevor Lawrence able to travel to South Bend able to stand on the sideline able to uh, be with his teammates all about getting ready for that game against Notre Dame but then when it comes time to play in the game because of the rules of the ACC he has to just stand on the sideline that makes no sense how do you handle this Danny G
0: it's a tough one Health obviously comes first, schedule second. You need really good leadership, a super good backup plan, which is why we knew from the start that the Big Ten was in trouble because of how late they started. You forecasted that.
2: Same thing with the Pac 12, even worse because they started a week later than the Big Ten.
0: Exactly. So we've been in a mess with those two conferences. And then another thing our show forecasted months and months back was that when we got to Thanksgiving, And Christmas, how was this all going to go down? Because kids are now going to go home to their families and be around older folks. And I think this is where the unknown starts to play a huge factor with everything. And this was a big debate on TV sports shows the past few days. You just brought up the Notre Dame game, them storming the field. Now, aside from the political aspect of it, which you talked about on Monday and Tuesday, what do you think about the kids storming the field?
2: I'm fine with it. I, I think we have to get back to normalcy yeah. and look. Uh, but at
0: eighteen nineteen, I heard a lot of hosts saying, "You know, at eighteen nineteen, I would have done the same thing." But I was thinking about it at eighteen nineteen. I was working at my first radio station, and I had to abide by their strict rules there. Now, obviously, this is at a sporting event where you're having fun. It's a it's a hard thing to to talk about because we want to get back to normalcy. We want the kids to have fun at the games, but at the same time, if they're just running around like all hell broke loose, and then you have states like us here in California where we're on a perpetual lockdown, we're sitting watching jealous, of course. But we're like, damn, this isn't fair.
2: Uh, look, I was going around Halloween trick or treating in my neighborhood, and. I met so many different people from California who have moved to my neighborhood, and they were like, "This was it." And I think the same thing is happening in New York. Uh, so many people were like, "I was getting driven insane by the rules and regulations in my state," and COVID was the final final factor. And I think there are tons of people out there who are voting with their their lives. Right? I mean, they are abandoning these nanny state absurd covid rules that exist in in on the east and west coast to a large extent and they're going to places like Texas and Tennessee and Florida where there's no state income tax and where they can have a more normal life that they think re- reflects what they believe in and i think that's what's happening writ large with these rules right i mean how crazy is it that cal is talking about relocating their entire football program so that they can play games because their game against Washington is canceled and because it's looking like their game against Arizona State is going to get canceled over something that isn't a real threat in their football program, which is an asymptomatic positive test of a player. If somebody tests positive, pull them out right, and go ahead and don't allow them to play But this contact tracing business doesn't make sense because there isn't actually any transmission taking place during the games themselves. So if you pull the people who are testing positive, eventually the people who are testing positive will cycle back in. But this idea that you have to quarantine people for two weeks or sometimes three weeks because they were in close contact with somebody else over something that is going to have a zero impact on them. It's absolute. It's absolutely bonkers. I think we have a Wisconsin fan who wants to weigh in quickly. Dub, what do they have? What question was that?
4: Yeah, Tim in Wisconsin. here.
2: Tim, what you got for me? Hey, Clay. Good morning, young man. Well, I miss college football too, man. I'm just
0: working Division three games every Saturday. But question for you: moving forward, since the, the uh, Big Ten started so late, which is just insane to me, if Wisconsin runs the table, you know, and they got a great defense, can they? can they eventually get in the top four to make the playoff, in your opinion? Do they have enough games or bullets yeah. in the gun left to do it, Clay? I'll hang up and uh, listen to you, buddy. First-time caller. Thanks, Clay. You're, yeah, you're thanks. a brother right here, man. I appreciate it.
2: I appreciate that. Look, that would get Wisconsin to 6-0, and right? Uh, because they have lost two of their Big Ten games, maybe 7-0. and They would potentially be able to play, I believe, seven total games, right? 6-0 and in the regular season, plus they would need to win the Big Ten. I think it remains to be seen. My inclination is whoever wins the Big Ten is going to get in, but what is that bare minimum number of games that need to be played? How will the college football playoff committee analyze it? I'll talk about that a little bit more on the other side as well. I appreciate all of you hanging out with us on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Oh, oh, oh.